0: And if I could ask you to go ahead and take your Bible out this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And so this is a unique Sunday for us. It's really a specific purpose. It's one of a vision and, and prayer. And what I mean by that is today's a day where we'll intentionally look towards the coming year that we're in right now. And the future just in general And we're looking to see where God is leading us as a church family. It's good just to get this right out of the gate. This is not my comfort zone. Okay, I I don't like, enjoy these types of things necessarily. Um, I don't like the idea of saying something like, thus saith the Lord, um, that he's given me a special word. But I do feel that we are at a unique place in the timeline of our church's existence. And I do sense from the Lord that he is giving some prodding and some leading. And when God does begin to speak, we we ought to just perk up and listen. With that being said, I am not infallible. My words have error, potentially. And so we're just trusting. I'm trusting. I ask that you would trust alongside me that this is how God is seeming to be stirring us and leading us and prompting us to move forward as he gives the steps to take. If you haven't been here for very long with our church family, we've only been here three and a half years, let me just kind of give a really huge, huge overview. The work here in Portsmouth, in correlation with this church family, began with the proclamation of of Christ's second coming. There was a preacher named William Miller who was traveling about New England with a burden that Christ was going to come back, and we as a people, his people, need to be prepared for that. William Miller and I agree on this standpoint. We start to differ a little bit in the next saga of life of William Miller. William thought that he had predicted the exact date when Christ would return. There's a place you can visit. Ascension Rock is kind of what they call it, and I've been there, and William was disappointed. William went back, he did some math, said, this is a new date. It's 2019, we're still here. He was wrong. But what do we take out of that? It's perhaps a faulty error, really just maybe a faulty perspective. Scripture does say that no one can know the time or place that Christ will return. He'll be like a thief at night. Thieves don't typically call ahead, okay? But what can we take out of that? Well, for me, it's that we as a church family really were birthed out of the imminent return of Christ, where our network, our affiliation, our association is called the Advent Christian. We were founded on living life with the expectant return of Christ that could happen today or a thousand years from now. I mean, we we think that even Paul thought it would not be long between Christ's first departure and his coming back. 2019, it hasn't happened yet. Does that mean that God is unfaithful in keeping his word? No, it actually means he's very faithful to keeping his promise because he says he's not come back yet because there's still work to be done for people to come to know him. In 1894, we were incorporated as a church family. The actual ministry has taken place in numerous locations, downtown Portsmouth. I think it was around 1940 or so, maybe a little bit before that, they purchased this big corner lot in 1941. This building was completed that we stand in today. And what's taken place throughout geographic changes and and building changes has continued to be, I believe, the declaration hope that's found in Jesus Christ. There's an organization I know of called Overseed. Overseed works with church revitalizations, And you know what they target? Mainline denominations who have left the gospel and walked into liberal theology. That is not our history. I like Overseed, but they're not a ministry that we need. I believe our church family, the history of this church, has stayed faithful to the gospel. And so I mean by liberal theology, I mean, hey, it's not just Jesus anymore. We don't need to use the Bible anymore. And we've maintained faithfulness to that. This declaration of of the gospel of Jesus Christ has endured over the course of this city's changing. The demographics have changed. The culture of Portsmouth has changed. Yet the gospel of Christ has remained the same and has continued to be declared. it's what we declare still today. 2015, we joined the family of State Street Church. And this was my primary commitment, to teach the Scriptures. For those of you who have been around since we came in 2015, I believe that we've done just that. We've maintained a priority and a commitment to teach the Scriptures. We've continued to study, going through various portions of Scripture, as God has led us. And as He's continued to lead us, we began to establish small communities, seeking to grow maturity. We have community groups. We've sought to be involved in in loving and caring for our community around us through our community, neighborhood yard sale we've hosted here a couple years in a row, supporting things like Seacoast Birthright, even this past Christmas buying gift cards so that families, too, could enjoy just the blessing of, of Christmas this season. I think by all vantage points, one looking at State Street Church could conclude some important things, things like faithfulness, that we've been faithful to God's Word, We've maintained faithfulness to declare it as our source of hope, that it is inspired, it is without error, it continues to be relevant, and it will continue to be relevant and accurate and authoritative. That we've been faithful to God's community. We use the term family here a lot. That when we come, we gather as family, and kids are part of our family, and when we like it, we actually enjoy spending time around people. Look, one of the biggest phenomenas in my just observation of our church family, maybe because I didn't grow up in observing this, is that there are times when it's 1230 and people are still here. Like the heat's starting to come back down. I and mean, We're still here just talking, spending time together. And that's a testimony of a unique bond that exists beyond our interests, beyond our age brackets, beyond our socioeconomic status, but that's knitted together in the bond that's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe we've been faithful to God's leading. There's wisdom that says when you come to something new or you take on something new, don't change a lot fast. When you do, you begin to disenfranchise people. And so we have not done that. We've changed very little in the course of these past three years. Some of that is just my personality. I'm not a risk taker by nature. I may come across as flippant but risky. I think they're different things, okay? That's just not who I am. It's not how God's wired me. So so I'm really reluctant to make change. And, And I'll be honest with you, I'm trying to just give this back to the Lord. I want to take risks. But I believe we've been faithful to God's leading. And so it begs the question, why talk about vision? If we've not done it before, we seem to be trucking along, okay. Why take time to do this? We've sought to be on the same page for the past three years, perhaps in an informal and sometimes informal way. Well, it's simple. I I think today is a means to again communicate what God is calling us to do. I think that we are at a unique time in our history. I really do. And not just because of the uniqueness of the people gathered here, but because our culture is shifting and we're one day closer to Christ's return. And if nothing else, that makes it unique in and of itself. And so I do believe that if we as a church people just kind of truck in and just sit here on the train called life and Eek our existence out. Now, we are actually living a less satisfying life than the life that God calls us to live. Because the life that God does call us to live is one that is risky, it's sacrificial, it's being led by faith in the direction that the Lord leads us, both collectively and individually. I'm not going to put any mass proposal before you today. There's no fundraising campaign. There's no building project. There's nothing of that nature. So if that's what you're nervous about and you're protecting your wallet right now, relax. What I want us to do, what my prayer has been, is that we can look at the Scriptures and go there as a source of hope and a source of direction. This is tricky On a Vision Sunday, there's temptation for me to find the most palatable passage I can possibly find that will make you feel as comfortable as you can possibly feel. I'll bump the temperature to 75, we'll lull you to sleep, and I'll close it up at the end, and you'll feel not offended at all. But that's not how God's wired me. My goal is to go to the Scriptures today for leading and for direction. Trust not God's words, He's given to me, He now will impart to you. But our source for this will be the scriptures. So, if you have a Bible this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 to 21, and this is God's word, it says this Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known to also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are besides ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Lord, as we step into this text written by the Apostle Paul, I pray the same Spirit that guided him in his words would guide us today. That we would be open and sensitive to how you're leading us, and then to be obedient to walk and the path that you prepare before us. In your name, amen. These words here written by Paul to the believers in Corinth are meant to not only remind them of something, but I believe they're also meant to bring clarity. See, much of what Paul writes over the course of his New Testament writings, really he's writing to correct. Often he's writing back to those people whom he knows. He's planted churches in his journeys, and he's writing back to them. Often he's correcting them. He's trying to give clarity to, to them and kind of direct the path they're setting themselves out on. Paul doesn't write in bullet points. Did you notice that? He writes in sentences. Paul writes to give clarity. He wants there to be no confusion when he's writing that, that he's, he's leading these people, God's people, special people, unique people. Paul has just concluded a section before what we read It was really meant to orient the hearts of those listening with their heavenly home. Paul understands that right now, where he finds himself, there's tension. Tension of living on earth and and yet longing to be with the Lord. That duplicit life of, here I am, I'm, I'm living, I'm grinding, I'm working. Man, I just long to be the Lord, though. And if we're the Lord, then the reality is things on planet Earth don't matter. Things on planet Earth no longer matter. Pain is gone. Death cannot interfere anymore. Heartache is no longer existent. We can understand Paul's longing. But Paul does not live in a phase of longing for too long. But he recognizes, you know what? He's here on planet Earth still. And he seems to recognize that as long as he's here on planet Earth, then God has a purpose for that. And so he lives in the temporary world with the eternal world in mind. This dualistic thought is how we're to live as well. We too, like Paul, are hardwired for eternity. Author C. S. Lewis offered this thought. If I find in myself a desire with no experience, which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I love this. If I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. That is what Paul is living with. A recognition that there's something within him, and I believe within us, that that cannot be satisfied by these things around us. And yet, we try all the time. It's a statement that I've made numerous times here that, that when we begin to put up somebody or something as this kind of void filling entity, it will bankrupt eventually. I've never gone through bankruptcy, but from what I can glean by the outsider looking in, it doesn't bring much joy in the end. It's a declaration that this didn't work, that business venture didn't come to fruition. And provide like I thought it was going to. We're bankrupt. And if we begin to to be a people that think relationships or finances or retirement or old age or uh, a life without health problems is somehow going to bring total satisfaction and fulfillment. That will bring bankruptcy to us because we're hardwired for eternity. Within us, a foundation that was placed there by God exists for our good. It's a longing that that all that we can see and touch and feel, even the most majestic experience you could ever fathom on planet earth, cannot quench your soul like that of being the presence of your creator. It's a sense that this is not all there is that this world is not meant to satisfy all of our hopes and dreams, but there is more beyond the tangible we see around us. This truth Paul accepted, and it's one that he decided to live in light of. And it's with that thought process that we we bring into, now the portion of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 11, 21. We see Paul launching out of that In verse 11 he says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. Paul simply states that because we understand of the greatness of God, we have an awe, we have a reverence, we have a devotion to Him. That's the fear of the Lord. We understand the greatness of who God is in comparison to who we are. And because we're convinced that he is Lord, right? Paul says, look, we live to persuade others. In other words, Paul and those traveling with him and surrounding him, they're so sure that Jesus is the hope of the world and that they were made for eternity, that their lives must be about sharing, telling, and showing people these truths. Paul was so convinced of the gospel message. And that it was true, and that he must be part of persuading others of this reality. Why? Because he was living in light of eternity. There's temptation to hear to say look, Paul's unique. Paul's special. Look, no doubt. Right. The apostle Paul. I'm not Apostle Nate. You can just call me Nate. I'm not father. I'm not reverend, pastor. Just just Nate is fine. I admit Paul is in other tier. But don't miss that Paul lived with the foundational principle truths that we are to live as God's people in light of eternity. And so today on, on this really Vision and Prayer Sunday message, the phrase, in love, and with love, and to love, is what resonated with me. And before you begin to reject the message because of the title and the repetition of the word love, it's important that, that we don't miss the fact that this is a biblical foundation for the life of the believer in Jesus Christ. Let me just remind you what John 3:16 and 17 says: "For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him." Leave that up there for a second, Mike. Um, It's fascinating to me, right? You know 3.16 and maybe you loosely know 17. We like the idea of 17. For God not sent his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And we say things like, see, God didn't come to condemn. It's because the world was already condemned. Like, Jesus didn't have to come to condemn it because it's already condemned. Why? Because sin exists. Sin is a condemnation marker for creation. And so we read this and we have all said, yeah, look, God you know, doesn't have a standard. He must not have a standard. He didn't come to condemn the world. No, God has a standard. And the standard is holiness. It's, it's perfection. And you and I are not fools. We cannot attain that. And God knew that. And so it was out of love that God sent Christ. In love, Christ was sent. For God so loved the world. Listen, if we forget this principal truth that Christ was sent from God the Father because of God's love for us, then we might be tempted to believe that God sent Christ because we deserved it. In love, Christ was sent. It was not out of deserving it, we didn't deserve for Christ to come. In love, Christ was sent. So that what? So that we could have eternal life. Christ came so that people might be saved through him. We cannot begin or continue to be a people who strive to live for God if we dare walk away from the foundational truth that the gospel is rooted in love. In love, God graciously Redeemed us through Christ. In love, God has allowed us, like Paul, to be persuaded that this earth is not our home, that we are meant for more, that we are meant for eternity, not in hell, not separated from our Heavenly Father, but one with Him. The fact that we even know that, that there are two Right, opposing future ends for humanity, a heaven and a hell, is God's love. He lovingly tells us that that option, those options are both there. What if we just assumed it was only heaven? Then we would go through today as if tomorrow will be fine. If we happen to die tomorrow, who cares? And if the pagan, the furthest individual apart from Jesus, happens to die tomorrow, who cares? There's only heaven. No, actually God in his love and his grace has revealed there's a heaven and a hell. So that we might be motivated because we're persuaded that the gospel is the only way of salvation. Church, the call for us to remember today is to remember the great means that God went in order that we might be restored in relationship with him. In love, Christ took on flesh. In love, he went to the cross. And in love, he conquered the grave. If you have found yourself either forgetting the glory and joy of the gospel, or perhaps never truly living in light of the gospel, you must stop right now And ask the Lord to awaken and awaken your heart and awaken your mind to the joy and the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not a convenient add-on. It is the lifeblood of salvation and the hope of yesterday and today and tomorrow. The Scripture says the gospel has saved us. Our past sins are forgiven when we are in Christ. It is saving us right now, and it will be the only thing that will save us in the end. And all this happens because God responded in love. Look, I'm begging you. No matter how long you live a life with Christ, do not become numb to the gospel. Do not become numb to its saving power. Do not become numb to the awe of what it means to be plucked out of the grips of hell and to be put into the loving arms of your heavenly Father, sealed and secure. Because if we become numb to this, we will not have compassion for anybody else who needs Christ. Because we will begin to assume that we deserved it. And that we receive grace because we're just great enough. As Paul continues in this section, he works out of that reality. When we understand the gospel, we then have authentically have saving faith in Christ. We've had that saving faith. We've trusted in Christ. We trust in him alone for our salvation. Paul works out of that. Look, if this has happened, right? What takes place next? He says in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When we are in Christ, simply put, we're different. We're a new creation. Our lives are now lived with love. Okay, we're following the transition here, right? In love and with love. In Christ, we understand that both the tragedy and the depth of our sin in light of the lavish love of God. In Christ, Paul reminds us that we are indeed a new creation. And that's so important, church. We're new. Not remade. Not buffed out, but there's plenty of noticeable dents still existing. He says we're new. Meaning God sees us as righteous because of the righteousness of Christ that's been applied to us. And part of that new creation living is what is that within our lives is a heart that's been replaced and a mind that's been renewed, that's meant to love people. For the follower of Jesus, love is to be foundational. We are to live with love. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13. Same people he's writing to. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Nothing. This is still Paul talking here. See, Paul at times said hard things that were hard to swallow. Well, why? Because love is willing to say hard things. Because if we truly care about somebody, we're willing to say what's hard, what's uncomfortable. But it's said in love. There's a tenderness to it. There's a care that comes with it. But listen, what, do you see what Paul says here? Says, look, if I can tell a future, if I can understand great mysteries, even if my faith is strong enough to take a mountain out of its place, if I don't have love, I'm like a noisy gong just bangs over and over and over again. A gong that everyone wants to hear stop because there's nothing to it. For the follower of Jesus, living with love must be essential. It is a, a mark, a trademark characteristic. And so the best that I can understand is that does that not afford me the luxury and comfort to be choosy of when I want to be loving. That does not afford me the right to withhold love from somebody because I feel that they might not deserve it. Because that's counter to what the gospel communicates to me. Because I don't deserve God's love. Like, I don't deserve his grace. I don't deserve his lavish substitutionary atonement that was found in the blood of Christ on my behalf for my sin. Yet God did not withhold it from me. The gospel does not afford us the luxury of withholding love. As a primary characteristic of who we are, it doesn't matter if you're born New England. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert. Does't matter if you're type A or type chaotic. The characteristics that God calls us to are not subjective. We don't get to say, "Well, that doesn't feel right. It doesn't matter what we feel in this moment. We're called to be obedient. God in His grace has been, thankfully, tenderly working on my heart and convicting me that I I think I view the Scriptures a lot like a choose-your-own-adventure book. I don't like how this story is going to go. I'm going to turn to page 492. I want to go right instead. Church, when we see commands being brought up in the Scriptures... Commands are not options. They're given and meant to be followed. So when Paul gives us the example that if he himself, the apostle Paul, if he speaks in tongues and he man, he, he's doing understanding mysteries of the world, but he has not love. He's nothing. not a command there so what do we do with that in that moment we recognize godly wisdom when it's being imparted and we evaluate our lives for the follower of jesus living with love must be essential it may feel awkward but i'm just going to pray right now And uh, just join me in prayer And it's a prayer of repentance. Father, uh, as we begin, and and, again, we're just trying to plot ahead, really as you're leading us. God, I, I, I feel like we need to confess that at times, and you know this, we don't do this perfectly. And I think there's grace in those moments, but God, if we're honest, we confess that at times we want nothing to do with being loving. We want justice. We want retribution. We we want to get what's ours. Or we want to see what should be coming to the other person. Oh, Father, forgive us. When that's the driving thought that we have, God, that is not a thought of a new creation found in you. God, you know that it's not easy. And we struggle. We have those inner battles of how we are to respond, and, and Father, we confess that we don't always give in to really your spirit's leading. Oh, but Lord, would you graciously remind us that our hearts and our minds are being renewed, that we're restored, that again we're a new creation in Christ, and Father, would love mark who we are today. Amen. Church, I believe that God is calling us to again be reminded that we must stand on the truths of Scripture as a people. We must read them. We must place them into our lives. We must apply them correctly. Knowing and understanding the grace of God and how in love He gave us Christ and the gospel must be something we cling to. And we are to be evaluating our lives to see if we are indeed living with love as a primary marker of a life changed by Christ. These are good words at times to hear from a, a preacher. And lastly, it means we're coming to the end. Paul clearly understood and was teaching that when God's people live a life for him, that we're living in love, and God's grace, we understand, is given to us, and we're living with love, then we then understand that we are meant to love. Verses 18-21 said this, again, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, when we see ourselves as reconciled, right? We're brought into the family of God. We then see, too, how we are to show and exemplify what marks us as family. It is to be love. We, too, are to love. And Paul specifically outlines it here, that God has given us a ministry of what? A reconciliation. That God's people are called to be a people who represent a different kingdom. And when we recognize that God has placed eternity in our hearts, and then we see his gracious work and love of sending Christ, we understand that we too now live with love within us, then we must be moved with love to those around us. Why? Because as Paul states it, we are ambassadors for Christ. Just as Paul saw himself to the people of Corinth We too are called to be ambassadors of our Heavenly Father to those around us. An ambassador represents the King. They would go ahead of the King or go on the King's behalf to a foreign land. Now to live as ambassadors, we must live with eternity in mind. We, God's people, must live with our heavenly inheritance in mind. We are called to represent the King and to represent Him well. Church, we must be a people who understand that we are authentically called to love people. We're called to love. The gospel is not meant to only be words, but clear action as well. First John three sixteen to 18 says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The call to love is clearly connected with what it means to be a follower of Christ. John's words here are a reminder that when we see the needs, we're to respond to the needs. The case we made that 1 John 3 is talking about the life within the church family because he uses the words such as brothers, those who are in the family of God as well. But I believe it needs to extend beyond just the church family. Words are important, but so are not actions. So how does this connect? How is the Lord leading us as a church family? What is our vision exactly? First, We must remain faithful and committed to the Scriptures. I spoke earlier, that's been our heritage, I believe our greatest heritage. A commitment to the Scriptures. We must remain committed, both collectively and individually. Onus and responsibility does fall on us to to be in God's Word, to study, to, to work through it, to try to understand it. Second, I believe that God is calling us to be rooted as a people of love. That we must live reminding ourselves and each other that Christ came in love to graciously redeem us. And that our lives must be marked with love as a primary characteristic. We must be caring and compassionate because we understand the love that was shown to us in Christ through the cross. And lastly, that we are called to love lavishly the people around us. And that word is important. We're called to love lavishly. A question that I've tried to wrestle with in thinking about you, but also about me, is what marks our lives any different than just a good, nice person next door? It's very likely It will be our love. Our love that that when your neighbor snow blows a driveway and chucks the snow into your driveway, you don't throw it back. You throw it the other way. Not in your other neighbors, right? It's these simple things. It, It very well may not be monumental things. It's consistent godly living that's lived lavishly with a love for people that seeks to be compassionate and understand that knows when to shut our mouths and open our ears. All right, scripture says, look, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Not just, I think, to preserve our anger from raging up, but I think because it shows we actually care about people. We're called to lavishly love those around us, not because we want to be politically correct, but because we want to see people come to Christ. We must not be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So what will this look like? Man. What will it practically look like for our church family going forward this year and beyond? I don't know. I told you there's no big ass today. I certainly believe and Convicted that gospel community is a great place for these things to flush themselves out in. But any time that we can do life together at a deeper level is an opportunity for growth. It's an opportunity for maturity. It's an opportunity to serve and to love in a great way together. I don't often do this, but I'll leave you with this thought. A few thoughts here. What can you do moving forward this year Read. Be committed to what, what Romans says of the renewing of your mind. You have so many things telling you how to live and what to do and what to think and how to process. What are you putting in your brain? What are you reading? What are you, what are you allowing to filter things through? So, very quickly, read your Bible. This is, this, again, this is not a huge thing, right? Not cloud parting read your Bible. If you want to understand the life and how God is uniquely calling you and wants to use you, read your Bible and ask Him to reveal that. Ask Him to to reveal the hard places where His gospel is not yet penetrating in your life and in your mind. Be renewed by the transformation of your mind. Perhaps the gospel is antiquated to you It's dry. It was a transaction that you once made in your life. You trusted the gospel and you've moved on. Look, I'm going to encourage you. Here's a great book by an author named Jared Wilson called Gospel Wakefulness. You can borrow mine. If someone takes it before me, you get to buy your own. All right. Gospel Wakefulness. What does it look like to live your day in and out with a renewedness in the gospel of Jesus Christ? This is not a self help book. This is not a quick fix book. This is trying to understand what does it mean to live with an awakening to the wonder of the gospel. Perhaps the gospel is still fresh in you. And you still have a passion for it. It's still shaping your day, but you kind of feel like it's running the routine. This book, perhaps, is for me one of the single... Uh, I think, most influential books in my life with Christ. Just David Platt's book, Radical. He says hard things and he presses in the hard places of life. David Platt is a pastor. He's an author. Huge heart for missions. But just to kind of give you some insight, the tagline is, taking back your faith from the American dream. I mean, this could wreck you. It could. I don't know. Read this year. Be committed to following God as he leads you with a newness that's rooted in the gospel with a life being marked by love. Look, I'm excited for the future. I mean, I don't don't know if you guys wonder this, but if you do, I'll put you at ease a little bit. Like Kim and I feel no call to be anywhere else but right here. And we... We love being here. We're excited for the future. And I want us to live with a big picture. And what do I mean by that? Christ is coming back. It doesn't get much bigger than that. It's exciting. And God continues to allow us to be here as a church family. And I believe that he continues to desire to use us. And I'm excited to see exactly what is going to unfold for us. I pray that we would be a people who understand man, in love Christ came. God's grace compelled him. And that when we are a new creation, man, we, we live with love deep inside of us and we are called to love. To be as people sent Sent out as we're going, making disciples and living in light of the gospel. The great commission that you and I know very well, if you spent any time in the church, to go or as you go, make disciples. Who said that? Anybody know? Jesus, thank you. It's a pretty safe Sunday school answer. He didn't say, Nate... If it feels comfortable, make disciples. If it feels like it wouldn't be too much of an inconvenience, make disciples. He says to all of us, as we go, as you're going, as you're doing life, make disciples. You cannot make disciples if you're not first convinced of the gospel yourself. If you're not a new creation in Christ Jesus, if you don't live with love, you're just a noisy, annoying person gong let's not be a gong let's live for Christ in light of the gospel would you pray with me father um, we don't do this well certainly not perfectly Um, so I pray and ask that you would just accomplish exactly what you want to accomplish Lord that you would stir in us A newness, a freshness of what it means to be your people called uniquely here, gathered together locally at State Street Church to serve our communities, our neighborhoods, and our families with a lavish love that's only understandable and makes sense because the gospel of Jesus Christ has created in us a new creation. And while we live for your glory, Lord, We say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.